Isabel. And I'm Ben. Welcome to Conversations in Company, a podcast from the charity Suicide & Co, here to make the suicide loss a little less lonely. We've both been on this journey for a few years. I lost my cousin to suicide in 2017. And I lost my brother to suicide in 2018. We really, really hope that we and our guests can offer you some companionship wherever you are on this journey. Difficult anniversaries and difficult dates and obviously at the moment we're in the run-up to Christmas and do you want to talk because you on Suicide and Co's Instagram ran a bit of a, a a report or a bit of a questionnaire about exactly this topic do you want to just talk about what that found and what what, what people were saying when you asked them about what they find difficult in terms of anniversaries and dates also about your your loss as well like yeah absolutely well so yeah thank you for having me on um so my lived experience is my mum died by suicide when I was 19 um and sort of had a very delayed grief journey um with you know due to lack of accessing services lack of conversation um and you know eight years after my mum had died uh, met my co-founder Emma who's also coming on the podcast at some point um and had a conversation that changed everything we really looked into the suicide bereavement space found that there wasn't really uh, enough options definitely and just nowhere near um the capacity for the size of the audience that exists. So we created Suicide & Co. Um, and it's been a bit of a whirlwind ever since, you know, we're nearly three and a half years old now. Um, obviously we've got uh, amazing service delivery, you guys as incredible ambassadors and, you know, together as a team, we are going from strength to strength, which is amazing. The the, the survey that you mentioned, so essentially we, now that we have a lot of our service delivery kind of um, in-house and with really big capacity like the counseling service the helpline the app that should be launched when this um releases you know we we wanted to continue to focus on co-creation with our community and one thing that we'd heard from social media from you know interviews we'd done is that the festive season the holiday period is really challenging to navigate But we also know that when you wrap that into like loss anniversaries, birthdays, um, Mother's Day, Father's Day, there's actually quite a lot of dates that are really hard when you're grieving the loss of a loved one. So we released a survey basically asking about those different significant dates and saying, what's your experience? What specifically do you find difficult about this? And then what have you found that's helped? And... Um, the purpose of doing that initially is that in Grief Awareness Week this year, um, we are running webinars, uh, public webinars for the first time, giving people kind of advice on how to navigate the Christmas period. And so we've now got over 200 people that have done the survey to kind of implement into all of that. And we've learned a huge amount from it. You can like, there's nowhere more that you can learn from than just people being really honest in an anonymous space talking about their experiences. Amazing. Can I just say, like, as an ambassador for the charity, it's such a privilege to be a part of this because when I was going through the depths of of my grief and trauma and coming to terms with it, that like 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 you, there was just there was really nothing, and it's so much of it is just sort of trying to work it out on your own. Um, and I absolutely needed someone to just take my hand and guide me through it and and explain to me what was normal and what wasn't normal. And I just didn't didn't have that. Um, I had quite the opposite. I remember when we had the the police and it, all of it, you know, happen and you know, get all these services and all these people that come into your house and get involved. And I remember being being given a family liaison officer um, that was that was going to um, whose primary role was to manage press interest. Okay, and nothing, absolutely no support whatsoever. Not even like a leaflet that's just like, so this has happened, <laughs> as the cl- like classic services do. And and I'm just, I think I'm I'm so proud to be an ambassador for this charity, and I'm so proud of you for all the work you're doing because it it is helpful. It's really really helpful, and suicide is something that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, particularly people that are left behind by it. Um, it's why both me and Isabel, I'm sure, said yes so quickly to doing this podcast and. And, and um, we'll big you up whenever we can because I think it's so so important. So so thank you for everything you're doing um, and 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 helping. 
So, sorry, we're recording this in November, so it kind of, like, um, just a bit of... I've definitely noticed the Christmas ads have come on the TV, and I can also, I think, um, this time of year can be quite tough, just on everyone, because the nights have closed in a little bit. Like, like as soon as the hour changes, I find that suddenly I'm like, oh, my God, it is so dark, and I, like, have to remember to start taking my vitamin D, like, all of that. So already I can feel myself being a little bit more, like just a bit lower generally but then like so from like December I, I definitely find quite tough like I don't know how you guys so tough yeah so tough because I think there's such an expectation to be happy um and to be warm and cozy and oh it's Christmas and, and then if you're not then it just makes you it just alienates you and makes you feel even even worse and look it's dark it's cold um and if you're not feeling the christmas festive spirit then you just get sidelined um you can't and also you know like it's for for me at least like christmas and and for i'm sure for a lot of people it's it's a time where you see your family and you come together and and obviously me when i lost sam i was i was still a child um christmas was still like like a really big thing um and then suddenly to to be in a position where you can't escape Christmas. It's on TV. It's in the shops from October when it is, right? Um, you just you can't escape. And every time it comes on, all it does is remind you not of how nice it is at Christmas, but how awful it is this Christmas. Um, and and you focus not on what's there. You focus on what's not there. Um, and I found it. I found it awful. And obviously, you know, I feel like as years go on, I've tried to. As with, uh, it's going to be a common theme, I think, for for what we're talking about today. But like. I've tried to build my own traditions and as a family we've tried to build our own traditions that are different to what it was before um, so we can still enjoy it but in a different way. Um, but at the, especially early on, like the first few Christmases, I just, it was almost like head down, hold your breath to get to January. And then you get to January and you're like, oh, I really don't like January either because of yeah, other significant no, dates. No and then like, head down. <laughs> yeah. And I get to July and I'm like, oh, it's sunny again. We can, <laughs> I can relax. But no, Christmas for me was just, it's all, it's, it's really difficult. And, and no one, I feel like no one is very open to, to people not liking it. Everyone's like, oh, what are you doing for Christmas this year? And when when your honest answer is, I'll probably curl up in a ball, cry and watch Netflix. <laughs> um, there's not a lot of empathy towards that. Most people look at you like you're, like you're, uh, got something wrong with you. Um, I Yeah, I really, really struggled with Christmas for a few years. Yeah, same. I think like in the, um, well, I remember distinctly the first Christmas. So my mum died in March. So I had like nine months before the first Christmas. And my parents are divorced and um, had been since I was three. And I would alternate between my mum my and my dad with who I'd spend Christmas with. Um, but because it was like really raw, I, I wanted to be with her family. So I was with my aunt and my aunt's family and I was the only child that didn't have, like, a parent there. The physical loss of her there, no presents from her, no presents to her. Like, all of those things were so challenging. I was nervous for it. I hated the experience. And then also I found that the grief, like, really set in, like, afterwards as well. And, like, now I've got a lot more, like, planned around it. And my method is, like, we, we've created Christmas with my dad because, like, that's, you know, now it's there almost every year. Um, but there was definitely, like, this this real lack of planning, which made it really, really challenging. So, like, that first year, how are you going to know, like... like? And it's also this kind of, like, suspended time, like... I think that Christmas and New Year period that everyone finds quite funny of like, oh, it's betwixtmas, like what day is it? Like, oh, it's really funny. But that extended days when you might be off work or if you are at work, it might be a little bit slow. And I'm really sorry to any key workers who are listening to this and who are like, I work really hard the whole time, sorry. Um, but like, <laughs> like there is a bit of like a suspended time feeling. And I think as soon as like you have that space to like think a lot, I think sometimes it just like, that's when my head's like ramped up, you know? Yeah, I think particularly for for me, um, what what was what made it even harder was, so Sam died in January. Um, he was he was diagnosed with depression in September. So he you know that was his the worst period from September to January, um, and to be honest, almost consistently he was 
not involved in any conversation really through that those months he'd sit at the table and push food around and he wouldn't talk to anyone he was like lock himself away and like work or and he just wasn't really involved in anything for those months except Christmas in between he absolutely loved Christmas and I remember that Christmas just before he died we he was what 15 I was 17 Tom was 14 and we stole a bottle of Prosecco and just sat in the corner of the living room and had got a bit tipsy and then Sam just got so drunk and it was so funny because you obviously didn't he had like two glasses of Prosecco and was just pretending or like you know hype or whatever and he just it was so funny and I remember him getting the giggles and just not la- not stopping laughing for like half an hour and then we always every year we used to play like um pranks on my grandmother and that year we got her, um, we faked these uh, skydiving tickets. Like, bear in mind, she's 86. And so we'd print, we'd had this whole plan to like buy her skydiving tickets and like properly think that she, we bought it to her, knowing full well that she's not the sort of person that, can, that will ever turn down a present. So she'd be like, oh, thank you so much. Anyway, we gave it to her. Sam thought it was absolutely hilarious. She was just like, thank you so much, boys thank you I'm gonna I'm gonna take my friend all, all of this and then she she went into the kitchen afterwards and went to my mum she was just like Michelle I'm not sure I can do this oh. my knee my knees <laughs> my knees won't go and my mum told us and we absolutely it was so funny it was just so funny and I guess for me it was like that's why I find Christmas hard now because you, you miss Sam and like he was the ringleader for all of that like he bought her he bought her we bought her like a Christmas present one year and it was like a dot to dot of male strippers it was so fun and like every year it's just like how how bad can we get for for her obviously we got by her nice stuff and he was always the ringleader and I guess we've sort of just lost that like the humor um and especially in like the darkness so like to find something like that to just cut through the darkness of what he was going through and give him relief and like and he just became the old Sam again um yeah that made me miss that more and I guess when you get to that time of year and it's not there it's like a big presence to have lost 100% I mean in the survey like we we definitely saw you know a, a load of answers where people were like Christmas was a special time where we were all on great form and they loved it and so it makes that memory like so much harder and and what was also really interesting within the survey is I'd say, and like this isn't, it was all open-ended like questions apart from a few, but it felt like about 50-50, some people were like, we are going to avoid Christmas completely now. We're going to go away. We're going to go on holiday. We're not going to do it. And the other half were like, we're going to do it. We're going to like acknowledge the fact that that person isn't there. We're going to have new rituals, make new traditions. And it just like really spoke to the fact that like, there have always been those two sides, right? Like lean in, lean out. We see it through everything that we do. Some people want to absolutely acknowledge, some people want to avoid. Both are completely valid and both are normal. We just really like spoke to the fact that everyone's experience is so nuanced that the way that you've reacted is is always going to be nuanced. It's just, I guess, like the biggest thing that came out for me on Christmas was like, having a conversation and almost being a bit proactive as a family or as a group that's going to be doing it to go like what does everyone want to do or feel comfortable doing as well as just like validating that whatever that is 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 good is is something that I think a lot of people still don't do because we just don't know that that's what we should be doing yeah I feel like also that's a sort of that's probably quite a British thing of like let's not address the elephant in the room and just allow like We've kind of, at my family table, like, like, so we're not religious, we don't go to church or anything, but, like, just, like, started, like, at lunchtime, just, like, toasting absent friends. So people, my cousin wasn't always with us at Christmas, but, like, my aunt's died in the past couple of years, and so now, like, it's just an acknowledgement at some point in the meal, like, oh, we're missing some people at the table. And it is that, like, it's empty chair. Like, don't leave an empty chair for them. Christ, that's awful. But, like, just acknowledge and just, like, take the moment to go, like, do you know what? This is... This is incomplete. Like we do the same, and yet when people don't like, I've been at some lunch, some like lunches where people have had a bit too much wine, and they're forgetting, and I'm looking at them, being like, "Excuse me, where is the speech? Like, I'll do it." That like I really like. It's become a tradition for me, and it hurts when people don't do it. Definitely. The thing you mentioned about empty chair, which I find fascinating, is like so. I have never. Um, done this with my mum but it came out so many times that people had like either written their loved one a a Christmas card or bought them a present 
or bought them a present for themselves that they think that person would have bought. Like there was real connection. And somebody did actually leave an empty, I think a few people are left in the empty chair or they pulled them a glass or something like that. There's just like that connection where a lot of people have that relationship with their loss and their loved one where they're like really connecting to them. I thought I'd never actually seen somebody buy a present for themselves from the person. I thought that was so lovely because sometimes I think about things and I'm like, my mum loved hearts, right? She loved them. Like we were like real, they're all, they were all over the house, tea towels. Like it was too much, too many hearts. And like, I look at heart things sometimes and I'm like, oh my God, I would have been gifted that. Like legit, I would have had another heart notepad or whatever. I think I find it, so I, I don't, I feel like Jen is like really gone. And so I don't really have that relationship of like leaving like like toasting like toasting like an empty chair or like buying her a present or something like that, that that's not something that I find but I think I find it a little bit like weird but, but only because not like not not from other people's perspective but like um we like there's a Facebook group still on like for her friends and I've had to mute it because like they sometimes just mess like they'll like write in the group like they're messaging her and I but for me I've got such a sense that she's gone that I'm just a bit like why are you doing that like it's everyone's everyone's dealing with it in their own way and like if that if they feel her presence then that's absolutely fine but like I definitely like and I am quite spiritual as well so sometimes I'm I am like oh my god I can feel presence around me but it's just with her I definitely feel like she's like but it is also that, that just to pick up on that, because it's something else that came up, is like that is in a family unit or a group of friends, often somebody that's the loudest or that wants to do it is going to do it. And they often don't ask. And actually, like one of the biggest things we saw is like, if you're going to do something like that, really great to like ask the people around, especially in family units, it's normally a parent that will lay something in and the other siblings will be there being like, I don't resonate with this. And that would have been great if you maybe did that in your private time or with the other parent. You know, I think we, we're bad at like, especially parents who've lost children and then are setting stuff for the family often can can like try and feel like it's their responsibility to lay out something like, I found this, I'm going to do it versus being like, this is something that I think would help me and, and should we do it together or do you want me to do it on my own? To give a choice to opt in or out of these different ways of approaching it. I guess that's exactly what I had, really? right? So... Yeah, so I mean, so I was, what, 17, so I was still a child, and I think, so I sort of, for the first couple of Christmases, we just went away, went away with another family, like Christmas Day was, let's dress up as a joke, and just like, go and do things that aren't Christmasy, and completely like, upend Christmas, and change the tradition, and just do a different thing, and it got to the second, second Christmas, and I was just like, so I, I, I really miss the food, <laughs> um, I... I really miss pigs and blankets and stuffing. Like I absolutely adore stuffing. I don't know why they don't stuff like stock stuffing any other time during the year. I think it's an absolute travesty um, that we only have it once a year. And I just got to the point where I was just like, you know what? No, I like I, my biggest thing when I lost Sam was I wanted things to go back to normal. Like the grief was bad enough as it is. Like I wanted that normality. And I think for me, like yeah, I think changing the tradition can work for some people it certainly worked for my mum and my dad and and I helped just sort of give some distance to it and some respite but at the same time you know this has happened it's really awful um Christmas is going to be sad but I love the food and I love the tradition and I love decorating a tree and I love dancing to Mariah Carey and Justin Boob Justin Bublé, whatever his name is, Bublé, right? I, I do enjoy those things and it's it is a feel good year. And and I think if my my whole thing was like I want to get back to a position where I do enjoy Christmas. And now, this year, I think it's probably one of the first Christmases that I'm going into it actually quite excited for Christmas. How many years are you in? So this will be Five, six, five. Five. Yeah. I feel like that's when that's definitely when I found myself turning a bit of a corner. So I had a quite a big, not argument, but like little debate with my therapist early on about. I he said if you feel like you're fundamentally changed, then you're not healed yet. And I said, but I am changed. And he was like, then you're not healed. And I said, no, that's not like. 
And I think there's space to like have a have a think about that and like think like okay, I don't want to. I have to, I have to feel like I'm changed. Like I feel like I like literally have a different. I'm in a different phase of my life after her death, and so the tradition can stay. But like I have to like I can't, I'm never going to go back to like normal. This is a new normal. But I agree, and I totally agree with that. And also, Isabel, a therapist should never have said something that like prescriptive like in like when you do I just think it's just like such bad cancer to, to be like this is the way and it's that it's literally like the, the opposite of what you're supposed to do in therapy I mean also I think he probably like I don't think he he was probably saying that to see what response I had to it like it wasn't just, like we had quite a robust relationship in that respect the other thing I just say on, on on Ben's point and like but everybody being like unique and having their own unique experience the difference I think there what I hear is like we get to a place where we stop people pleasing and like the biggest thing that happens in those periods is we people please because we're just not we don't really know we don't have the space to say what we want and like for you it's going back to normal and that tradition I'm very similar I know Emma my co-founder completely different like she doesn't want that and but but the difference is she also went on a journey of getting to a place where after a few years of being able to be like hang on I actually know my boundaries now I know what will work and when you get to that point and it could be earlier than five years as well hopefully now there's more content out there like the reality is you instinctively can have a bit of guidance around what you think you want to do having the confidence to voice that to the people you're going to be spending it with is the key because because then if you you know if you plan it and you don't want to do it it doesn't it doesn't matter but like it's the difference of just going along with it to not make a scene. Also, just like take your head if you're burying your head in your sand in the sand about like not having conversations with people. Like, just make sure you can just like go like, "Hey, are we going to do anything on on any not not sorry, just to be not just Christmas on a big family on a big family lunch on a Sunday like where everyone's getting together and there's like or anything like that or when you're seeing all of your friends except that one person, just say like, "Are we going to do anything or are we not?" Because it's just about prepping yourself on the, so on the morning you can say to yourself like okay we're not going to acknowledge that but like i can do it in my own way i agree it makes it so much easier because i've been so disappointed retrospectively at things at family events and significant dates where i'm like i assumed you were going to do something you're not a mind reader you didn't do it or maybe you forgot because other stuff was going on and I now feel perfectly personally slighted and I did that didn't need to happen if I just asked a question or you know said what you know are we going to do anything to recognize mummy's not here or anything like that and it would have just been really small so my cousin also died in January um, and I don't know whether that's like I I sort of like I find myself like trying to like gear up through that December period and then New Year's like and then that's when everyone sort of goes into a bit of a hibernation mode as well and so that's like I found in the lead up to the anniversary I can kind of like manage Christmas really well and then that first week of January and it's also my birthday week I've just been a bit like okay like um and then I sort of have to um yeah I I have to like it's also just recognizing like the the different points that are going to happen as well. When they can, when there's a, a, a like relentless series, like I have it every year. Uh, my birthday's in February. Then three weeks later, she died, and then three weeks later, it's Mother's Day, and I'm like, yuck, yuck, yuck! I hate this period. Like it is just every time. It's just like, oh god, you know. And I know I'm going, and it's just like, and I have a few people who've said the same, and. And it's just like, God, when it's compounding, it is just a bit, it's it's a bit gross. And I think also, I've just noticed that more companies now will be like, oh, do you not want to receive Mother's Day messages? Or do you not want to receive? And that's obviously like, great. But like, I've noticed it like maybe four or five times. And so I can't even, like, I don't have like a cousin's day or something. Like, but like that, like if you've lost a parent or both parents, like that relentlessness of that. I... I hate it. I mean, also to go on to that before, but like uh, basically advertising and the commercial side that's so triggering around significant dates just before we move off Christmas. You know, like I, I was so surprised how many people literally in this survey out of 200, I, I think it was, it was over 50 people being like TV ads are the hard part of Christmas. They are constantly 
on the TV promoting this perfect family. And even when they're not, and they're trying to be like, oh, we're not a perfect family. It's a, they end up having a perfect family setting or whatever. And I think, you know, it's, it's the advertising and the constant merriment. Like if you think about the merriment of Christmas, these Christmas songs are just like become this delirium, like, constant drivel on the radio and Amelia it is the most wonderful time of the year <laughs> it's it is constant if you're not in a good mood like when else are you walking into somewhere they're like hey be happy it's all everyone's great I mean it doesn't happen like we just I just it's so yeah and I think it's interesting I mean I don't know I I personally don't think I've I definitely have had some Christmas ads where I'm like, oh, that hit me. But I don't think it was necessarily because of my loss. I mean, have you guys found that with TV ads? Yeah, 100%. And I think we're sold this... <laughs> I think the whole thing of Christmas is a mass. Well, let's face it, it's a massive sales thing, right? Um, it's turned into a hugely um, capitalist holiday um, to drive sales. But also, we're sold... The image of Christmas is not the Christmas anyone gets, right? Every All of these ads, right... They, they have some story, it ends up on Christmas Day, it's snowing, they go sledging. Or it's snowing in the open presents and some talking penguin gets a girlfriend. And it's just like, none of this is real, right? When's it ever snowed on Christmas? Let's face it, most Christmas days looks a bit like it does now. Rain, grey, miserable, misty, foggy and cold. And I feel like the, we've almost like give ourselves this reality, of, this paint this reality of Christmas like it's wonderful and snowy and suddenly you're going to get on with your neighbours and they're going to come over and give you a Christmas pudding and and like everything's just friendly and lovely and warm and and it's just like no you know it's it's not that at all and like it's like just neighbours being loud arguments people getting too much red wine and then saying something that crosses a line awful weather like it's not (laughs) we paint we try and trick ourselves into being like oh it's so lovely and then it's just not um and I think what's important is like this is why this is why when I said I want to go back to what we used to do at Christmas. What I was really saying is I like what we did at Christmas, the traditions, like what I think of Christmas is stuffing my face full of food and enjoying myself and, and like getting people around. Because let's face it, Sam's not here, but I still love my family. I still get on with my family. And I still have a good time with my family. And, and you know, it's different, but it that's what I wanted to get back. I don't want this fake reality of Christmas that everyone's going to get on. Like, oh, I can't remember a Christmas where someone hasn't had an argument or someone hasn't had to take five minutes just because <laughs> they've had to take a breather. And like, I just, that's what makes it nice for me. It's like, it's familiar. But this nonsense about white Christmas and everyone gets on and let's go sledging. I, I, my friend got, got a sledge for Christmas when he was eight. I'm not sure he's ever used it. No, you get the sledge at Christmas because it always snows in January. But does it though? It's, you're very hooked on snow here, Ben. It's literally like, like go and I feel like you need to talk to the weather people and be like, where is this snow? I feel like this is my new campaign. I feel like it might be. I feel like yeah. there's a lot. Can of... we get planes to just dump snow? Sure. We. I do feel like they're moving on slightly. Like I remember the Age UK ad about loneliness at Christmas like so well and I honestly it made me cry and it was so good. But I think I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Age UK have nailed us talking about old people being lonely at Christmas. We all go, gosh, that breaks my heart. Like, I can get that and I'm going to donate. If you try and approach young people feeling lonely at Christmas, people who live on their own in their mid-30s alone at Christmas, oh, it's far too close to the line. Like, it's just too on the nose, that. And it's, you know, it's it's like, I do think that that's a big thing within mental health. There are tons of people whose Christmases look crap and they are lonely and we're going oh look at this old man he's lonely and we're like okay we get that and that's safe for us to talk about but the reality is loads of people are having an awful time just to, just so we wrap that one up i do think um i do think it's only ever it's only ever the bad stuff that looks good that's talked about um and i think that leads quite nicely on to talking about mothers and fathers day quickly because every time there's a mothers or fathers day you see loads of social media ads got being like happy mother's day to people that have lost parents and all of this amelia obviously you know you're losing your mum do you think that when there's those posts that go oh let's think about people that have lost their mum is that just sort of a bit of a virtue signal is that sort of a social media movement or do you do you genuinely feel that we're moving forward towards being quite to acknowledging people that don't have parents 
Yeah, I mean, I well, I feel like we're moving. Yeah, I feel like we're moving towards it, definitely. I mean, like Suicide and Co, we do a post. I don't, I think we've got to remember we're all working in mental health and we're in the algorithm. Most people aren't seeing this nice, like sensitive post. Most people are seeing every high street covered with Mother's Day. You know, when I lost my mum 12 years ago, it, I and I've worked in advertising for 10 years, not every brand jumped on Mother's Day. Some did, but not every single brand. Now, literally every high street, whether you're Clark's clothing, like Clark's shoes or whatever, is being like, we're going to advertise to you on Mother's Day. What what hurts a lot is there's this, there's this rhetoric of like, the you know, your mom is amazing. She's the hero in the family. And it's also like, do you tell her you love her enough and there's a lot of this like messaging to make you buy shit and celebrate it and you know high streets you can avoid email inbox you can't and when your inbox is flooded with marketing email after marketing email have you got your mum something this year you know I've been it's honestly constant and I think when I was first um when I first lost my mum I I really hated it I just felt so unheard I, I felt like people didn't recognize the fact that that would be difficult for me to go through. And also bear in mind, the vast majority of people lose their parents when they are old in natural causes, right? There's a subset of people that lose their parents to traumatic or sudden or early death, right? And so those groups, you know, it was quite unheard. And, and I don't think people recognize that that was something that was something to do. Um, so I think I think we're making the opt outs are great, but like you have to be quite technically savvy to do that. And also, aren't we all just used to being like, accept everything, this cookie, whatever, I don't get it. That I think people actually really have to be conscious to do it. The the thing that as well, alongside advertising that isn't and it's it is the same. I know we've moved on for Christmas, but social media allows us to do so much comparison. Right. And around those dates, even now, this year, you know, the number of my friends who post lovely photos of their mom, who, you know, do things like that to be like, best person in the whole world, I wouldn't be anything without you, all of that stuff. It's, you can't help but compare and you're just a bit jealous and they're being like, I wish that this person was in my life and she's not. It just makes you think about it a bit more, I think. What do you do on Mother's Day, Amelia? So I, I, I actually, it's the one time that I really vary, very dependent on how I'm doing that year. So I've had some tough, tough years for other reasons since losing mummy. Um, and, you know, I've basically avoided it. Like I have two versions. One, you know, we'll do something that I'll have fun. I'll make sure I'm around friends and people who aren't with their mums because they live abroad. And then, but, you know, friends, parents, like, they may not be hanging out with them. Not everyone hangs out with their parents on that day and stuff. So I'll hang out with those people. And then my one of avoidance is I'll do stuff that like reminds me of her. And for me, I have a baked potato with um, tuna fish, sweet corn and mayo. And I watch a musical. And that's like my like sacred space because when she was ill with bipolar uh, and really throughout our whole lives, this became a, a, a kind of ritual that we would do where I would sort of subliminally know that she wasn't in a great place and we were binge eating. We were like, you know, but equally it felt cozy and safe and our thing. And so when I'm feeling like I, I want to do something purposeful around that, then that's what I do. Like, I think that's the, like, honestly the best, like that sounds like a really great way to commemorate her on that day. It sounds like the, the trend so far though, is that actually it's less about the day and what we make it and more about what everyone else thinks the day is and, and the pressure to do something that you're not doing or can't do and the advertising that goes around it and what everyone else is doing, what everyone else is saying. Um, and and that's where the, the struggle comes from. And actually, if you can build what you like into it, then you can sort of do your own thing. But it's this constant feeling like, oh, I'm doing it wrong or other people are doing it this way or triggering things that you're hearing. The, the literal, the word I would say, and, and this did come out again in the survey, like renouncing, especially with loss anniversaries, which we're coming on to later, is the anticipation is almost the worst bit. That's not always the case. Sometimes the day is actually horrific. And for me, you know, I can talk about anniversaries in a bit, but but the anticipation, if you think about when all the marketing and the advertising is, it's in the build-up. 
you know, on the day I can choose to be not look at my phone and be inside and not see any advertising, but I can't choose to not go on the tube, not go on the new, you know, all of that thing. And, and, and I do think the anticipation is so difficult because we have this pressure on ourselves to like get it right and have the least horrible time. And, and ultimately that's where the planning going into it with a vague plan but knowing you can be flexible like on days when we do do things you know knowing that I could say not in the mood to hang out anymore woke up this morning floods of tears opened the letter up again and now I don't want to see you and that's fine is is reality you know also like having people around you that like if you're spending a difficult day with them like on the day they're aware that you might just be a little bit off like I don't um the last couple of so last year uh or like beginning of this year on Jan's anniversary I I I went on holiday for two weeks to Bali and I I was on the day I was just like I'm just gonna spend the day on the beach reading and like I don't like it was it was amazing being on my own um but also like it was partly that like when I've been in London and it's not that I, that will not be possible every year, but like it's just like the pressure to like be out of the house or like not really knowing like whether I do need to be in or out or what I'm doing and what happens if I cancel plans on someone on the day and like you know all of those things are an added added stressor. Well, I also think the difference between like a Mother's Day or a Father's Day and a lost anniversary is like everybody knows it's Mother's Day and Father's Day. But nobody really knows it, and you like, and nobody really knows it's the anniversary a lot of the time, and it's fascinating with other people because I don't know what your guys' experience is, but like when I first lost mummy, like definitely people would send me messages around the anniversary. Then that's completely dwindled, apart from pretty much one friend who I genuinely think has a calendar with like fifty things each day. She remembers like the date it's a year in your job like it's this like Elle if you're listening she probably isn't but like you're the best person ever she remembers that's the kind of level I aspire to be but I'm like absolutely failing 100% at being like I always do that literally but like but then around Mother's Day you know when people do send a message or something like that I'm always like god like well done I mean and it doesn't necessarily I don't feel badly against people who don't do it but I think the thing about lost anniversaries is it's easier to forget for other people and it's normally a random ish you know unless somebody's died on a significant date which obviously happens and came out in the survey as well but yeah I've stopped putting a uh, like a, a post on my main grid on Instagram and I did for a long time but then I think then because I started doing stuff about suicide I just I just was a bit like I, I had to I had to make a choice like after five years I was like I'm not I'm not going to commemorate it in the same way every year and I need to like allow myself space to like move on and also my professional life to move on a little bit as well um but like I definitely I'll definitely post something somewhere and like I'll definitely do something to acknowledge her and it's just like it's a really funny way of like like I think with social media as well like it's almost just like a marker for everyone else to be like hey like I this is what I'm doing today and I'm not in the best place and like please don't necessarily message me about it or like I just needed to like put it out there that that's happening to me today you know because otherwise also if people don't know it's just like the it's just letting people know that you're not 100% I have honestly, when people don't know, I have had anniversaries where somebody's being like, hey, I can't believe like you haven't paid or like they're they're getting like aggy about something basic in life. And I feel like saying, you're the worst person in the world. It's the anniversary today. You don't know. But it's like, how would you how would you know that you're not? And I, I don't post on social about about that. But that's because I never have. I don't really have any visuals of how before she died but but equally you know I do know what you mean I think there's and I think a lot of people do it and I think there's an amazing ability for social media to like memorialize and and be able to celebrate the and the you know that person and also acknowledge how, how you're feeling and put that out as a marker I think it's so brave so I do so I I, I yeah I do post about it every year on on the day um I try to use it as sort of a a moment to reflect obviously because my 
I've got the most complex six years because all of my work's tied up in all of this stuff that's happened. So I use it as like a, a milestone to be like, oh, actually, to be fair, we've come a long way. Like, what's the reflection? And I try and use the day to like set a goal for the next year of like what needs to change. Um, and obviously that, that can be quite draining and exhausting itself because a lot of the time it's just like, we've made so much progress, but the NHS is in pieces and I'm getting all these DMs. But I, I like to, to, to um, reflect on it. But also, I, I like you say, I post it because people then see it and I'm quite you know I'm quite fortunate that we were still at school so most of my friends uh, well not fortunate for them but they were all very much involved in it they're not I mean no no one that I know closely is is going to ever forget that day um because they were as involved as I was uh in in terms of disruption um so everyone sort of knows but I like to put to put it up because I'm just like then it's just so front and center just don't come to me with stupid jobs or emails or like all of this just give me a day um people tend to be quite nice about it and, and it just sort of I don't know I, I quite like to take um ownership of the day I had a question for you both uh, around lost anniversaries actually one thing um, I really, really struggle with is visiting like Sam's grave. And I don't know about you two or whether you have like a, I don't know if they were like buried or you had ashes and there was somewhere, somewhere that you have that, that's, that's like symbolic of, you know, what happened next. I absolutely can't stand it. I think in six years I've probably gone there like three times. Um, yeah. So I really, really struggle with it. And I, th I know a lot of people really like it cause it gives closure but I remember, I remember at the funeral, like, this dude handing out a cup of mud, or, like, dirt. And I was like, this is, this is wild. <laughs> what, what am I meant to do? And I just found the whole thing really bizarre. And I, I really don't like it. For me, that place is, like, just such a sad place. And sadly, where he's buried is, like, right next to... Because right next to, like, loads of people that died in the war. And they're all similar age. And it just, it's just a place of, like real sadness i don't visit jen's grave at all i've never been like i went i partly logistically like it's quite far out of london i don't drive like it would have to be like me choosing to go on a day with my family and like already like it's quite hard like me and my brother both work in media and so like just coordinating two people with like mad schedules i also don't feel like i actually love cemeteries generally I think they're incredible spaces and I really love seeing the memorials that other people have built and like like designed and like the stones I think they're amazing but why haven't I do I do sometimes wonder why I haven't been to Jen's grave like if I love cemeteries like why haven't I gone there and like then I can hear myself being like it's actually really far and like schedules and I'm like why haven't you gone like and I do, I wonder if that's partly like the finite, I wonder if maybe if I was got there and like having gone through this whole journey, if I then looked at like the actual finiteness of like her grave and a stone and she was cremated. So there's, there's just ashes left in there. Am I going to look at that and be like double, double hit again? I don't know. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, my mum was cremated and she doesn't have like a tombstone anywhere. And actually about like six years ago, I was really like, I watched a movie. I can't even remember what it was, but I was, they were doing it in the movie. They were like going to the like grave and it was a ritual. And this, I feel like it was like my girl or something like that. It was a really sad movie. And I was like, God, I don't actually have a space. So where we scattered her ashes in France. So it's bloody miles away. And normally when I go, when I go there, I've had too much rosé and I don't really have any emotional connection at all. I, I miss not having like um, a, a definitely like a, a space to do that and to explore that. I know that, I mean, again, in the survey, it was, it was so common. A load of people did that and went. I do think it's definitely an older generational thing. Um, in terms of going and connecting with that. But I also just think it is, yeah, it's personal preference. I mean, it was fascinating what was coming out of the survey of what people were doing on those days. And again, it was like that real divide between recognizing, celebrating, like memorializing versus like avoiding completely and both of them being really right to do. Like for me, 
we go to like me, my two aunts and my cousin, we have lunch, we go to a musical every year in and around the anniversary. If we can, we can't always do it right on. Um, and it's like, we think about the fact that she would have been here, but you know what it, it always leaves me with, it leaves me with this frustration of like, you would have fucking loved this. Like I really, that's where I feel. And when I do too many things where we're like celebrating what she would have loved and blah, blah, I just get this like deep missing feeling of being like, you literally would have been, I can imagine you here and it's 12 years on and I'm frustrated that you're not here. And that really comes up for me. But the thing that I would think, and this would definitely be advice to people listening is for so long at work, you know, I was working for 10 years, as I said, in media and marketing, I didn't take a day off. I didn't think this is what I'm going to use my annual leave for. And now I'm like legitimately advocating for taking the day off because and like really acknowledging that because I now do it and I really like enjoy that and especially working in suicide. But the other thing is like, I, for me, the anticipation of the loss anniversary, I really don't like, it comes straight after my birthday. I go straight into that and I'm literally like, I am now. And how that actually manifests is I'm far more emotional. Like is in, it's like I'm coming onto my period. I'm far more emotional. I am, um, a bit more irate and don't have the longest fuse for people complaining about like basic shit that I normally do. Uh, <laughs> and I'm way more tired as well because I'm overthinking a lot and my anxiety really tires me out. And so those three things, you know, I, I mean, not, I wouldn't have said them in those words, but if I could have said to my manager, look, just as a heads up, I have this milestone coming up. I know it's in the middle of March for you, which means nothing. But for me, it's a bit of a bit of a situation. I can get my work done. I can still perform at the highest level, but I would love you to know this just so that you have this awareness if you see a change in behaviour. So I don't have a normal job anymore. Um, and so it's much easier for me to just be like, okay, that week, and it's also, it's January. So that week, I'm not, January is a very quiet time for gigs anyway. It's like very, like really, um, but when I did have a normal job, I, the first year, I didn't take a day off because I didn't think about it but I did work from home and I just remember but I, when I say work from home I went and worked in a cafe because um we had a clean we had a cleaner sorry that's probably the worst first world thing I've ever said we had a cleaner and I needed to leave the house um but um so I was working in a cafe but I remember sitting over my laptop just like with like tears streaming down my face still just like moving things around a calendar like like I just a nap like now I don't if I'm in London, I'll just, it's not like I'll do something specifically that's about Jen, but I will just do like stuff that I want to do. So like one, the last year, so 2022, so non-COVID year, no, no job year. I went, um, had like just a really small lunch with two friends. And then I went to go and see a show in the evening and I went for like a little walk around central London. Not that any of that had anything to do with Jen, but I was just like, I'm just having a nice weekend day on a Wednesday. Like, like, actually, I, there's no pressure for me to send any emails, take, like, do any writing, nothing like that. I'm just going to go see my friends and go and, like, have my mind taken away from me by watching a show. And, um, yeah, it, it just it just meant that I was... And I also spent that lunch with my friend who had, like, a two-month-old baby, which I think was also, like, a bit of, like... Okay, like, as a celebrating, a, like, a new life here as well, which obviously, you know, not everyone can do any, like, oh, someone, find a friend with a new baby. But I felt like there was a bit of a, like, continuation of, like, my own life by, like, seeing, seeing things that are, have a future. So I think all of this, I'm listening to all of you and, and thinking this, like, I guess to draw in some my own advice for all of this and, and to, to sort of, try and explain like how I deal with all of this. I don't feel like I'm very good at dealing with anniversaries and dates. I feel like I'm the worst for just, like I said before, putting my head down, holding my breath and getting, getting through them without trying to think too much about them. But I guess like one of the most important things that I've realized and I do now is like, it's, it's fine to put your head down and just get through them and just try not to think. But it's what I really struggled with for, for a long, for a few years was not then realizing the amount of effort that that takes um um and even if so no matter what you do so if it's a loss anniversary if it's christmas if it's mother's day if it's a birthday if it's a big milestone that they're not there for like 
it takes enormous amounts of emotional energy to just get through the day. And so when you think about what you said, Amelia, about taking time off work, some people would think, oh, why am I taking time off work? I need a distraction, right? So you get through that week, and then at the end of the week, you're exhausted. You're not exhausted because you've worked harder. You're exhausted because your brain has been suppressing this emotion, right? And I always think, and I had this explained to me by my counsellor once, and she was just like, everyone thinks that suppressing emotion is the easier option. It's the one that it's passive. It's ignoring it. It's, it's sort of putting it to one side, and it doesn't take energy. But if you imagine a balloon, if you're trying to shrink a balloon, and actually takes energy to suppress um, and and so actually by not thinking about emotions actually takes more energy than potentially thinking about them and so what I'd say and the, the one thing piece of advice I have for people that are going through this and and are struggling with anniversaries and dates is just to have that compassion with yourself um, it's taken me years years to shake this like hustle culture way of looking at my life being like I'm not I'm tired why am I tired I haven't done any work and actually just have the compassion, yeah, to be like, my brain is dealing with, my brain is running three marathons a day, every day this week. Hustle culture and like suicide loss are just not compatible at all. No, 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 no. Oh, well, any, any, anything that's going on emotionally, it takes, a, it's a huge drain of energy. And I think, you know, we can talk about like whether you celebrate these days or don't and how you deal with them. But no matter what you do, it's going to take an enormous toll on your emotional health. If you just try and power through without any compassion for yourself, that's how, that's how problems start arising and how you can start getting into burnout and start having those problems arise. Just taking time off. And like you said, Amelia, taking time off work and just just being able to have that time off although it seems maybe seems like a weird time of year to take annual leave because it's like why would I want to take time off work to just sit at home and cry or whatever it's probably the best thing you can do in the long for the long term um, is give yourself that time off can I quickly just to go over lost anniversaries firstly um, they're not they're not particular not necessarily every year as it, they could be I mean for, for me like the, the moments the waves that hit me were a month later five months later, six months later, a year later, then it's got to like five years, that's half a decade, and then it's, and it's sort of like, it's these random years or moments or even months that come up, and for me, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this and a lot of people that interact with the charity, because of the nature of suicide, there's a lot of trauma that's associated with my grief and a, a very traumatic experience, and actually, it's not, these anniversaries don't bring up a moments of grief for me, it's actually moments of, of of panic and of trauma and of living minute to minute and going this will happen then and and that I you know I've done a lot of a huge amount of clinical work to overcome that and to, because that's you know that's a massive you know, a post-traumatic stress response that I've had from from those uh, those moments um, but for me it was it's like until you delve into the trauma that your brain's storing, it's very hard to actually get through those days without reliving it. And I guess until you've had that clinical support, then it's quite difficult to get through. But then on the, on the other side, like obviously clinical support, we can't talk about it like it's easy to get. Um, so I'd say for me, what I tried to do was was just build that padding around those days. Like Sam died at 9.30 in the evening, and the, obviously people don't tend to do stuff at, on the 21st January at 9.30 in the evening. Um, so I try to basically go, let's try and do something that evening, let's try to be around someone, let's try and have that comfortable environment. I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm sitting in my room alone like I was on that evening and, and giving myself you know, the the environment to basically fall back into that trauma because it can be incredibly scary falling back into trauma and having that traumatic response. You must have done that, That it was the, the COVID January, which I had as well, where like there was nothing, you couldn't do anything. And I remember I, I didn't have, I didn't have regular work that year, but I, I really gave myself like a bit of a pass to be like, okay, like you can get a delivery today. Like... Like, I just remembered, like, also, like, it just seems like the most basic treat now where I'm like, you can spend £15 on delivery. Like, no, just, just today. Like, might even get priority delivery. Yeah. <laughs> and now I do something out of the house. But, like, I remember being like, okay, what can I watch on TV that is going to be, like, mind numbing, but reassuring? I ended up on, like, it was probably Friends or something, but, like, something that's going to be entirely unchallenging that I'm not going to, like, laugh out loud because I found, like, that, particularly that year, like, I didn't want to be laughing, like, riotously at anything because I couldn't, like, I really have to be, like, altered state. Like, I was quite disturbed that year. And, um, 
yeah, it's definitely like ju- just plan some. I think just plan something for the day. The other thing I'd massively say is like, you know, obviously I'm coming from a service delivery charity, but like I have never called a helpline in like, and there are so many moments now that we run one, I'm like legitimately. So we asked in our survey, like, have you reached out for extra support? Right. At around this time. And 63% said yes. And I was really impressed by that because the reality is if you know you're going through this anticipation, like at Suicide Co, we have a helpline staffed by suicide bereavement advisors. They are sat there experts in this. They have heard the anniversary anticipation time and time again. They understand it. To be able to be like, I just want to chat to someone in depth all about me for the fact that I am actually nervous about going back into this. It's really important because like we're we're literally looking at launching a loss anniversary program that people can access and get surrounding counseling sessions just purely because of this. I remember, so 20, Jen died in 2017. I had known two other people who died by suicide before that and then like extended no of other people within my family or like within family, friends and things. But I remember that year, like just going, like feeling so alone at every stage and at every month and at every like, every milestone and now I'm aware of like what services are available and obviously of like I'm around I just know more people who've been through it like and I'm open about it and it means that people are open with me about it but what really struck me as I did my show like after my show or like people hearing about my show they'd be like like really quietly come up like or slide into the dms or come up to me and be like oh actually um I know like my my uncle died by suicide like just this like this time last year or something and I'd be like okay like how like talk about it be like how are you and they'd be like I'm really not okay and you'd be like okay you have to you're not alone like this is this is so much more widespread than we realize like and when you the first time you've experienced it and it's someone close to you I think you just like completely lost for like for where to go where to access like things what like knowing what like what this feels like or knowing that what you are feeling is probably very likely not unique you know exactly and giving yourself permission to feel that like the other thing we covered in the survey was it's not just you know we've covered like mother's day lost anniversaries christmas there's also like birthdays there are anniversaries of the inquest there's when you get married there's events that they're not going to miss and like especially i think that the the reality is currently in society, we find it difficult to hold up our hand and say, hi, mate, I would love to talk to you about something that I'm feeling on a base level. Because unless I'm crying or, you know, in physical pain, I'm going to find it difficult to bring up the confidence because that's just easier to avoid it. Right. The reality is that is the reason that helplines, that services exist, because you as soon as you access, as soon as you chat on shout, as soon as you pick up the phone, you are entering into a conversation where the permission is there, your ticket has been received, you are there, you literally spend that time just saying it out loud. And in a lot of those things, it is hard to do in your close network. Like if you think about people building up to weddings, happy time, you should be so excited. You're about to be the bride, la la la. Well, actually, if you don't have your father or a family member, the the like nervousness around like, oh God, people are going to be thinking it's sad, but it's a happy day, but you know. And so to talk about that with other people is, is quite difficult to get into like, did you order that? Also, should I just talk to you about low level anxiety I'm having about this is hard so to be able to reach out to services so you feel less alone hugely powerful I <laughs> as a man and who has I mean built into my genes it feels is this distrust of talking um, and I reached out to a to shout to a to helpline um, when I couldn't I can deal with it. I was at uni at the time, and I was about five assignments deep into, um, into uh, that were late, um, and I had all this stuff going on. I was on the, you know, Sam, the death of Sam's anniversary. The anniversary was on the horizon. It was just like, up, oh, cannot deal with this. And then you know, you get into a position where I was in on my own in a room, and it was just, I was, it was raining, which I obviously hate, and it was just like. 
all these thoughts just ruminating and just going around and going around and going around. And I text in, I've still got the text conversation on my phone, which is great, I love, because I read for it sometimes. And I basically go into this conversation with this person. Firstly, I've been in mental health for, at that point it was four years, and I still had a distrust of talking to people, okay? I started, I started talking, and you can see, and I remember feeling, like, as every time I said something, and they just affirmed it, and they were like, yeah, well, that makes sense to feel like that, and I started getting thoughts out, but even me, with a distrust of it, I, I just felt myself going, oh, that that's make, like, makes sense, and coming away from that conversation with a very, a much quieter head, and I think, actually, what was really, what I was struggling with, and what I struggle with on anniversaries and, and dates in general, is not necessarily the single thoughts of this is sad, Sam isn't here, but actually just it's like sticking your head between two subwoofers. Like it's everything at once. And what I try and do on these anniversaries, and again another piece of advice is to just talk about it because it just makes everything quieter. Um, you just drain off the slurry, which is a horrible word, and you, you just have a much clearer perspective. And I remember having that conversation, and it only lasted about 10 minutes or 15 minutes before I went, I feel better, thanks, bye, and then sort of sat back in my room, and I was like, oh, peace. Um, and, you know, I could turn off the sad music that I've been listening to because I just wanted to give myself that outlet of crying. I didn't need that anymore because I just had a quieter mind. And I went downstairs and I went to my flatmates and I just had a great conversation with them. We had a nice evening, had dinner together. And I just needed that moment to escape those thoughts. And I think what happens with so many people is you get these anniversaries, you get things that happen that make you suddenly start thinking. And then it's like a runaway train and it just goes and goes and goes. And the more you, you just keep it inside your head, it just you, you just don't allow it to stop. And, and that's why everyone in this world keeps banging on about talking. It's because it gives your brain that outlet. And so that runaway train that's just spinning around just suddenly goes, whee, out the, out the ear or something. As you let it out, it's like, like, even if I've just said it to like, and, and I don't even need to like expand more, but just turn around and be like, do you know what? Like, I'm really just, just having a rough one this week. And then having someone go, okay, like, you know, working out who, knowing who's safe with that, but like, like reaching out and like definitely contact mental health services, but also just, just allowing that to be, to like it to be voiced as well. Cause otherwise I still think it's like just sitting in your head. Yeah. I think. I think as a sector, I mean, I, like, I have a big opinion on this recently. We just, you know, we're not that far away from World Suicide Prevention Day. I sit on the steering group of, of the National Suicide Prevention Alliance. And, you know, we are we are talking a lot about talking. And that's great. I do think fundamentally at my core, my belief is we really don't have a lot of the skills of how to do that with each other. And yes, we can voice like, you know, I'm I'm not feeling it this week, I'm I'm struggling. But but the the little things, the, the rhetoric, especially within like um, you know, feelings of like anger, blame, shame, guilt, jealousy, all of those things, they are much harder to to voice. And I think that is where these 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 anonymous services are so impactful. And hearing your story, Ben, of like I you know, when you start talking about shout and, and that type of thing, and then when you go, and it was a 15-minute conversation. And then I went out and I had a nice meal. We need more of that stories because at the moment, service access looks like I was basically suicidal. I rang the helpline and it was and it was good again, right? But it's not like the minutiae of like, can I see myself in a situation where I was actually just completely spiraling, it all got too much because of work, because of grief, because of everything. I had a 15-minute chat, I called the helpline or I texted, and then I went on with my day. Yes, that's how I can see myself accessing services. And I think it's it's great to hear about that. And the, the, the biggest thing as well, when it comes to what this topic is about, which is significant dates, is we know grief hits us out of nowhere with no warning sometimes. But significant dates give you an opportunity to plan. They give you an opportunity to go, okay, well, last year it was crap. This year, it might not be crap, but let's overcorrect because it could be crap. And so let's just think about what we can do. And I think that that's epic. And it goes everything we've spoken about, self-care, service access, all of it. And if you overcorrect and it wasn't crap first, you're going to have a fucking banger of a week. Banger of a week, banger of a day, great. So 
as we sort of bring this episode to an end, I wonder whether it's worth us going along. And if the person listening, hello, that's you, um, has a anniversary or a date that's coming up soon that they're maybe nervous about, what if, could we maybe give one piece of advice each um, just to wrap up the episode of what they maybe can consider doing in the run-up to that event or, or on the day? Amelia, do you, want, do you want to start with maybe like one takeaway piece of advice that they can really take away and, and that might be useful to them? One takeaway, that's so hard, Ben. I'm planning an entire 45-minute webinar on this, but yes, I will. So mine, mine would be like trust your instincts and prioritise how you think, how you are feeling, right? No matter if it's the first one or the last one. It, if you don't know how you're feeling and you genuinely don't know, try and do some exploratory exercises or think of some options, but then trust that instinct, prioritise what you're feeling and find a way to voice it. It really is the most like powerful thing I think you can do. Plan to eat something really, really delicious. Like, not... It doesn't have to be the most spectacular, like, cooked meal, but something you really like eating. So that that... Even if that's the one thing you do on that day that's entirely for you, not necessarily for the other person, but nourish your body with something that you really want to eat. And I guess just to finish all of that and tie it together, be kind to yourself, be compassionate, um, like regardless of what you do, it's going to be an exhausting day, it's going to be an exhausting period, if you're tired and feeling burnt out, then that's not because you're not doing it well enough or good enough and you're not good at dealing with grief and you're not you know, doing it how you're meant to do it, it's because it's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do, whether you're thinking about it or not, whether you're dealing with it or not, whether you're capable of doing you know, no matter what's happening, it's an exhausting thing, and don't get angry and annoyed yourself like I did for so many years for not being able to deal with it and for feeling tired. Um, it's a human response to a really, really awful thing that's happened. Um, so have a massive bowl of ramen or soup or pizza or something unhealthy Go and watch Amelia's webinar and reach out to a helpline if you need to chat, even if it's for 15 minutes. Um, but these things are difficult. And like this po- this podcast exists for a reason. We've all got to go and do them. Um, you're certainly not alone at dealing with some pretty awful times of year and some pretty awful days. Even if no one else knows that you're dealing with an anniversary, we've all got to go through them. You're certainly not alone at feeling very lost going through them. So, so yeah, that's what a great episode I hope that people have enjoyed that and found it useful thanks so much for listening Conversations in Company would like to thank ACAST for letting us use their studio our wonderful guests and all you listeners thank you for your generous support please do rate, review and subscribe or send it to a friend you think might need it We'll be back with another episode soon.